Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, you'll find out what a pie plant is and who pie plant is, We'll listen to some church bells, we'll pedal our way through a segment, and celebrate the birthdays of Ivy Anderson and Adelaide Moffat. Back in April, I played Don't Try It For It Can't Be Done by Pie Plant Pete, and promised that you'd find out his real name in his birthday segment in July. Well, it's July, and yesterday, July 9th, marked the birth in Shawneetown, Illinois, of Claude Moy, M-O-Y-E, eldest of three sons born to Otto Otis Moy and Carrie Downen. He was interested in music from an early age and learned guitar and harmonica, but not being a fan of getting up at the crack of dawn on the family farm, when he was around 20, he left for Chicago to try his luck in the music business. On May 4, 1927, Moy auditioned for WLS and was on the air the following day. Using a frame like Walter Peterson, known as the Kentucky Wonder Bean, Moy played harmonica and guitar together, calling the combination his two-cylinder cob crusher. It was WLS program director Harold Safford and musical director Glenn Rowell, that's right, of Gene and Glenn, who gave Moy the stage name of Pie Plant Pete. Moy already had the nickname of Pete, and as the two were browsing through a catalog they saw a picture of a pie plant. Pie plant is another name for rhubarb, so Claude Moy became the alliterative pie plant Pete. Moy soon became acquainted with Lester Palfus, who, in addition to imitating Moy's style, gave himself a similar-sounding stage name, Rhubarb Red. You know Lester Palfus by an even later stage name, Les Paul. I know. A couple of years later, while working at WTAM Cleveland, Pie Plant Pete met harmonica player Joseph Troyan, who went by the stage name Bashful Harmonica Joe and was appearing on the Lum and Abner show on Friday nights. The two hit it off, started doing personal appearances together, and soon decided to become a permanent team, which lasted into the 1950s. Claude Moy died February 7, 1988, in Ridgeway, Illinois, but Pie Plant Pete lives on in these three rapidly rotating records. Now she lives down by the firehouse Where the engines went clang clang but a fireman proof falls to her In her heart she felt a pain Every time she met a fireman Why a song of hate she sang So she moved down by the station house Where the pistols went bang bang Now she lived down by the station house Where the pistols went bang bang and she fell in love with a handsome cop To him love song she sang 
When he introduced her to his wife, there was an awful row. So she moved away down in Coney Isle, where the hot dogs go bow wow. Lived way down in Coney Isle Where the hot dogs go bow wow And she fell in love with a circus freak Whose head looked like a cow When she found his children looked like calves She cried out loud boo So she moved down by the railroad yard Where the trains all go choo-choo now she lived down by the railroad yard where the trains all go choo-choo. And she fell in love with an engineer who promised he'd be true. But he went away on a long, long trip. He never did come back. So she jumped into the lake and drowned and the ducks all went quack, quack. Way on the train, 
I'm obliged to you, miss, for your kindness to me. You're welcome, I'm sure, never fear. Each time the conductor would come through the car, these words seemed to ring in his ear. Oh, please, Mr. Conductor, don't put me all the train. For the best friend I have in this wide world is waiting for me in vain. Expect that to die any moment and may not live through the day. I want to bid Mama goodbye, sir, before God takes her away.
my plant Pete's take on Jimmy Rogers waiting for a train, complete with some pretty fine yodeling. Although the story's the same, the tune, words, and title, Waiting for the Railroad Train, are Pie Plant's own. This recording was made by Jeanette in Richmond, Indiana on March 11, 1930, and issued on Supertone 9608, but it was also issued on Champion as by Avocado Joe. Before Waiting for the Railroad Train was another railroad song, The Tearjerker, The Lightning Express, subtitled Please, Mr. Conductor. There are at least a dozen recordings of it, including two by Vernon Dahlhart, this one also on Supertone, described on the label of 9701B as Old Time Singin' from August 8, 1930. We started off with the novelty song She Lived Down by the Firehouse, which also has a little train reference in it. That's from Melatone M11278B, recorded in the Furniture Mart building in Chicago on November 1, 1934. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. I ran out of time last week to play the record which starts off this segment, all about church bells. I wonder if you have ever noticed what a difference there is in the sound of bells. Of course, when I speak of bells, I don't mean the ordinary morning milk bell, the bell that heralds the approach of the vendor of milk. Not that I have anything to say against milkmen as milkmen. In fact, I believe it is to a milkman we're indebted for that most delightful little song, Flow on Thou Shining River. I don't know, mind you, but I believe so. But I mean the church bells. Of course, you've all heard the church bells. You hear them sometimes on a Sunday morning when you're going fishing. You've all heard them, haven't you, really? You hear them sometimes when you're going to church. If the wind happens to be in the right direction, well, they're supposed to sound very beautiful. At least this is how they're represented to us. Personally, I don't think it's a little bit like it. Something after the style I'm going to show you will be much more effective and, in my opinion, much more realistic. Something like this. Well, then, you know, on a Sunday morning when you are just enjoying that last half hour, which is always the most delightful of all, you hear the little church bell, the little church bell that says, Do get up. Do get up. Isn't it irritating? Do get up. It sounds more like three blind mice, doesn't it, really? Of course, you do get up. Well, you can't possibly sleep with a noise like this going on, can you? Then there's the little mission bell. You know the little mission bell. The one that says, be quick. And you have the two going together. Do get up, be quick. Isn't it awful, really? Not long ago, I was taking a walk and I came to an old church. It once was distinctly fashionable, but now it seemed quite deserted because everybody had gone to live in the suburbs. And this poor old relic of the past had a single bell, very monotonous and heavy in character. It appeared to be ringing its own knell. You've all heard this particular bell. You've all heard it. 
It belongs to the little church that's too far to go to. You know that church, don't you? Most convenient little church, really. Well, then, continuing my journey, I came to a struggling mission, and they'd invested in a bell, and I'm sorry to say it was far from being what I might term a pleasant-sounding bell. In fact, well, I'm inclined to think it was a trifle cracked. However, you shall judge for yourselves. This was it. Have you ever heard this particular bell? It's a jolly little bell, really, is it not, when you get used to it? Well, then we have the ordinary chimes. Very ordinary indeed, until you just put the little bit of something to them with the right hand, which makes all the difference. And this is the little bit of something.
ride How empty my life seems to be I know the heartaches I cost her But I suffered more for I've lost her The church bells are ringing for Mary And they're ringing the heart out of me The Church Bells Are Ringing for Mary, written by Elmer Colby. Well, not really. Elmer Colby was a pseudonym for the team of De Silva, Brown, and Henderson. That was the B.F. Goodrich Silvertown Chord Orchestra, directed by Joseph M. Necht, on the last day of January 1928. The label credits the vocal refrain to the anonymous silver-masked tenor. But, of course, you know that's, in fact, Joseph M. White. That was the first recording of The Church Bells Are Ringing for Mary, issued on Victor 21453. But it was closely followed by Oscar Grogan on Columbia, Noel Taylor on OK, and Eddie Thomas on Brunswick. Before that, Church Bell Blues, written by Luke Jordan, who recorded it in August 1927 for Victor. We heard it by the Mississippi Shakes a couple of years later on OK 8876 from December 19, 1930. We started with Ernest Hastings, illustrating church bells on the piano in Church Bells As We Hear Them. That's from Columbia 2451, made in 1914. Have a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on Rapidly Rotating Records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. Although not his profession, for 40 years my friend and former colleague Gary has led group bicycle trips all over the western U.S. and Europe. He and his wife Karen enjoy riding tandem bicycles, but they are not casual riders. They are beyond avid, serious, and even passionate, and fanatical might not be too strong an adjective. 
To give you an idea, Gary recently posted that in 2005, they were the first American tandem to complete the Raid Pyrenees Cycling Challenge, tourist version, unsupported. The Raid Pyrenees covers over 700 kilometers from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, over 16 climbs, many regularly on the Tour de France, totaling around 12,000 meters. In 2019, they tandemed through the Andes in Chile and Argentina. Now, I've done several segments of bicycle songs, but you don't get anywhere on a bicycle without pedaling. So, with best wishes to Gary and the Redhead, here's a set of rapidly rotating records about pedaling.
Mary joined the cycling club, and she rode for long weekends. She used to freewheel down the hill. Oh, she made a lot of friends. One day, when hot with pedaling, oh, she got left far behind. A strange man grabbed her handlebars. She was too tired to mind. Her bicycle brings her such innocent pleasure. She travels up hill and down dale. Her wheels are ball bearing. They are such a pleasure. Hmm, they've never been known to fail. Now she'll tell you that riding is healthy and nice. Ah,、oh, but for one's pleasure, well, one must pay the price. She's lucky 'cause she's only been punctured twice since she jumped on her push bike and pedaled away. Her bicycle brings her such innocent pleasure. She travels up hill and down dale. She met with an accident far off the high road. She soon got help from a male. Well, he took out his jack, her wheel to adjust. He said, "I'll pump that tire up, honey. It's flat in the dust."、Uh, but she was afraid that her inner tubing might bust, so she jumped on her push bike and pedaled away. Her bicycle brings her such innocent pleasure. She travels up hill and down dale. Oh, when darkness was falling, she found she'd no matches, and she had to pedal home like a snail. At lighting up time, a young man she did van. She says, "Woo! I can't light up. My oil must be damp." He said, "Honey, all you need is a new wick in your lamp." So she jumped on her push bike and pedaled away. We started this pedaling segment with Earl Rouse and his brothers and "Pedal Your Blues Away." That's from Melotone Six Zero Nine Five Four, recorded March Sixth, Nineteen Thirty Six, released in September. "Pedal Your Blues Away" was written by Bob Miller, Bob Wells, and Gerald Griffin. There were six other brothers and five sisters in the Rouse family, but the brothers in the band on this record were Earl and Irvin on fiddle and Gordon on guitar. They made a living playing fiddle-based country music in the Washington D.C. area, but weren't well known. A song that Irvin wrote, however, is extremely well known: "Orange Blossom Special." I know. The Rouse Brothers recorded it in 1939, and you'll be hearing it and the story surrounding it in an upcoming show. We finished up with Beth Chalice using the pseudonym Peggy Johnson and her orchestra. With she jumped on her push bike and pedaled away. That was written by British composer Frederick Weldon, which accounts for the old-fashioned British term push bike, which of course here is a bicycle. Bluebird B six zero nine seven B was recorded July nineteenth, nineteen thirty four. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is rapidly rotating records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at six on Island Radio. FM eighty eight point seven KISL Avalon and KISLAvalon dot com. This and all of our previous shows are also available twenty four seven on demand anytime at all online at rapidlyrotatingrecords dot com, and we're on all the major podcast directories. Yesterday, July ninth, marked the birth in Greenwich, Connecticut, in nineteen sixteen, of Adelaide Moffat. 
to James Andrew Martin Moffat and Adelaide Taft McMichael. She came from high society and old money and attended the Todunder School in New York and the Fermata School in Aiken, South Carolina. Her father was the Federal Housing Commissioner and Vice President of Standard Oil of New Jersey. When she was about 14, she went with her brother and some friends to hear Paul Whiteman at the Biltmore. When he invited her to sing on stage, she was bitten and sang on a couple of Whiteman's radio programs under assumed names. Because her father was vehemently opposed to his daughter becoming an entertainer and <gasps> broadcaster. An avid horsewoman, she got her first professional singing job at the Embassy Club in Miami in 1934. But when her father found out, she was forced to return home and remained in seclusion for a while. She decided to pursue medicine and was a nursing student at Russell Sage Hospital in Troy, New York. But that effort failed and she resumed appearing in nightclubs, making her debut at the Ambassador Hotel. Her father's efforts to curb her career failed and he ultimately relented. Determined to succeed based on her talent rather than her name, she used the pseudonym Diana Dorrance when she auditioned for the role opposite Dick Powell in Hollywood Hotel. She didn't win that part, but attracted the attention of Kate Smith and was chosen from more than a thousand other aspirants to sing on Kate's Saturday matinee program from WABC. She was also heard on the Hudson Essex program on CBS and the Morning Parade and revolving stage shows on NBC. Although she was a successful singer, her track record with husbands was less so. On July 13, 1936, she married stockbroker David Winky Brooks, a nephew of Lady Astor, in Manhattan. Just four months later, following a party, he fell out the window of their 17th floor Park Avenue apartment and was killed. In a remarkable coincidence, her mother had also died in a fall from an open window. On February 8, 1940, Adelaide secretly married Cafe Society playboy and promoter Paul Buckner, who two weeks later went to prison, having been convicted of mail fraud. Adelaide divorced him in short order and married Lieutenant William D. Craven on August 25, 1943, in an attorney's office. She was 27, he just 22. She left show business, and they were divorced in 1952. Five years later, she married Gordon Douglas Jr., who managed his family's coal, natural gas, and oil companies. In April of 1938, Adelaide Moffat was crowned Queen Shenandoah XV of the Winchester, Virginia Apple Blossom Festival, and was invited to the White House to meet President Roosevelt. The Shenandoah Apple Blossom Festival is still going on, but Adelaide Moffat died June 15, 1976, in San Francisco, following a long illness, and was cremated. Here are three from Adelaide Moffat.
never lonely when you love only one. You're only lonely having two or none. One heart for one, and it will ever be so. I know. I know. When you have no one, there's a cloud on the sun. When you have two, you don't know what can be done. But you are happy when you love only one, and when only one loves you.
was just one of those things Just one of those crazy flings One of those bells that now and then rings Just one of those things It was just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights A trip to the moon on gossamer wings Just one of those things If we thought a bit of the end of it When we started painting the town We'd have been aware That our love affair was too hot Not too cool down So goodbye, dear and amen Here's hoping we meet now and then It was great fun But it was just one of those things There you have Adelaide Moffat with three different orchestras in chronological order. We started with Enrique Madriguera and his Hotel Whalen Orchestra, October 25, 1934, with Adelaide singing the Howard Dietz lyrics to Arthur Schwartz's tune, When You Love Only One. Enrique Madriguera played violin on that record, Victor 24767. When You Love Only One is from the two-act musical Revenge with Music, which opened at the New Amsterdam Theater about a month after this recording was made, and you had 158 chances to catch it before April 27, 1935. Next was Adelaide with Jack Jenny and his orchestra and I've Gone Romantic on You. Words by Yip Harburg and music by Harold Arlen from the show Hooray for What? Vocalion 3972 was recorded January 15, 1938, in the middle of the show's 200 performance run at the Winter Garden Theater from December 1, 1937 to May 21, 1938. We finished up with just one of those things. Adelaide Moffat with Ruby Newman and his orchestra, January 21, 1939, on DECA 2302. Cole Porter wrote Just One of Those Things, heard in the second act of Jubilee, which premiered at the Imperial Theater on October 12, 1935, and closed March 7, the following year, after 169 performances. This very day, July 10th, marks the birth in 1904 in Gilroy, California, the garlic capital of the world, of Ivy Marie Anderson, I-V-I-E, to John W. Anderson and Sophie Jones. She studied voice as a child and joined the Glee Club and Choral Society while at Gilroy High School. Her career began in Los Angeles around 1921, and she was a chorus girl at the Cotton Club in Harlem, toured with the musical Shuffle Along, performed with Paul Howard, sang with Sonny Clay's band in Australia, and spent 20 weeks with Earl Hines' band at the Grand Terrace in Chicago, before becoming the first full-time vocalist in Duke Ellington's orchestra in 1931. 
Known as the voice of Ellington, she had a relaxed style, superb diction, and was at ease with blues, ballads, scat singing, and even novelty songs. She was the first to record It Don't Mean a Thing, and was with Ellington's orchestra until 1942, when she left due to chronic asthma. She returned to Los Angeles and opened Ivy's Chicken Shack Restaurant at 1105 East Vernon Avenue at South Central with husband Mark Neal, but sold it when they divorced. The Chicken Shack was in business for another 20 years, but Ivy Anderson died in Los Angeles on December 28, 1949. Here's Ivy Anderson.
something new, a dance to do up here in Harlem. So someone started trucking. As soon as the news got round, the folks downtown came up to Harlem. Saw everybody trucking. It didn't take long before the hi-hats were doing it. Paul Campbell doing it all over town. You see them scuffling, shuffling, trucking along. It spread like forest blaze, became a craze, and thanks to Harlem now, everybody's trucking. Thank <laughs> you. 
Duke Ellington and his famous orchestra with I've Got to Be a Rug Cutter. The band performed it in the Republic picture The Hit Parade. Attempting to draft in the popularity of Paramount's big broadcast movies of the 30s, but we heard the commercial recording made a few weeks later on Brunswick M7989, March 5, 1937. Ivy Anderson leads the vocal ensemble consisting of Rex Stewart, cornetist, saxophonist Harry Carney, and bass player Hayes Alvin. The Duke wrote the lyrics and took the vocal honors for himself in two subsequent recordings. Before that, Truckin' from Cotton Club Parade, written by Ted Kohler and Rube Bloom. Ivy Anderson gets credit for the vocal on the label of Brunswick 7514, made August 9, 1935. And we started our tribute to Ivy Anderson with I'm Satisfied. Ellington and Mitchell Parrish share composer credit on Brunswick 6638, made August 15, 1933. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I... Thank you for your very kind attention. ¶¶